Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. All right, our scripture reading for today is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. This is a prayer for the Ephesians. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We are kicking off a 50-day experience this Sunday that we're calling Learning to Breathe. Uh, we have some big plans for our church in these 50 days, and this really begins because we have this deep conviction that the greatest need that we have as people is to experience this abiding presence that we have with God, that God uh, longs to be with God's people, and God is passionate that you would experience it. That is our, our, our true belief. Our shared faith is more than doctrines or truths for us to memorize. Our shared faith uh, is founded on an experience of a life with Jesus. And my prayer is that for us, that we would experience the spirit of Jesus in our life in these 50 days like we haven't before. This was never God's design for us to live and exist without the awareness of God's presence. But the sad truth is for many of us who might be familiar with uh, growing up in the Christian tradition, for many of us, our spiritual life has been absent from this connection to the Spirit. And this was never God's intent for you. It was never God's intent that we would remove the Spirit from our spiritual life. But for many of us, that's what our life has been like. Now, a truth that I hold in my own personal life, as well as um, a truth that we share as a church, is that life bends towards intention. There's certain things that happens in our life because of chance or coincidence or just like a gift. But what I have found is that over and over in my life is that life bends towards intention where you have, have uh, habits and practices, intentional seasons in your life. Those are unique places where God has a, there's a tendency where God meets us in unique ways. Our intention creates space for the spirit to move. A word picture that might be helpful to explain what I'm, I'm trying to get at is this idea of a boat and a sail. A sail is really powerful, but in and of itself, it can't really do anything. You could hoist a large sail in the middle of the ocean. If the wind's not blowing, it's just there. It, it doesn't have power in itself. But when the wind blows, it's finally there to meet that power and to begin to move. God's spirit in our life wants to move. It wants to form us and shape us. But God often won't force that to happen. The spirit responds to our longings, to our intention, when we have open hearts so that when the spirit of God blows, we are ready to capture that 
we're ready to be formed and changed because of that. So for this series, I, I want to invite us to be intentional in these 50 days. Intention to disrupt the status quo of our days. Many of us, we have found ourselves lethargic, we're grown tired or sleepy through life, and we know we want something more. And so our, our invitation is to make the most out of these 50 days with what the Spirit wants to do in your life. And there's three different ways we're going to do that. One is through sermons. We're going to have eight different sermons exploring what a life in the Spirit really is about. Uh, the second thing we have is notebooks. So you should have had one of these in your chairs. If you don't have one, there are notebooks on the way out you can grab. These notebooks have daily practices. One of the beliefs and values that we have of a church is that we want to be practice-based. We don't, we don't want to uh, perpetuate the problem when we see, when Christians know all the right things, but they actually aren't doing anything. We want to express our belief in practices. So these, uh, this notebook has uh, 50 50 daily practices for you to explore what does it mean to have a life with God's presence and spirit. And so we encourage you guys to take that and use that every day for you. And then the third thing we have are vine groups. This is what we do as a church. We believe that God does God's best work in the context of relationships. And so uh, for us, if this is the only thing that you experience when it comes to the vine, we would say this is not enough. We would invite you to be a part of small groups or vine groups. Uh, these vine groups in these eight weeks, they're going to discuss the sermon. They're going to talk about your practices that you've done throughout that week. And we also, we really value that our small groups are safe places where we can bring our honest self, our doubts, our questions as we're wrestling, what does this actually mean in our real life? And so these vine groups are really important for this 50-day experience. And you can sign up for them this morning um, or online. But I want to take a step back now and actually begin by asking the question, why even focus on a life with the Spirit? When we were going through our third way series a couple months ago, we were having conversations around what does it mean to create a different type of unity and a diversity of belief within a community of people who are putting uh, the way of Jesus, his promises, his claims in the middle of our life. And what we often found ourselves talking about was being led by the Spirit. Um, as our life is getting disrupted, as some of us are beginning to deconstruct some of the things that we were given in our upbringings, what does it mean to now be led by the Spirit? And I've had a couple people in our church kind of pull me aside and say, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and it wasn't because they hadn't been coming to church for a while. It wasn't because they were unfamiliar with Scripture or the Gospel it's just there's parts of the Christian life that we really don't talk about. What does it mean to have a life of the Holy Spirit? It also doesn't help that some of us in our tradition called it the Holy Ghost, which is kind of spooky and eerie, and we don't know what to do with that. And, but I, I, I assured this person that they were not alone. Many of us believe in God, we love Jesus, but we don't know what to do about the Holy Spirit. We kind of keep the Spirit at a distance like it's some embarrassing uncle in our family, right? We, we acknowledge that it's there, but we don't necessarily invite into our, you know, our family gatherings all the time. Though the Spirit has been absent from our understanding and some of, for some of us, our intentions, the Spirit has never been absent from your life. The Spirit has never been absent from walking with you in your life. The Spirit is here. It's accessible like the air you breathe. 
And one of the most transformative experiences of your life could be learning to live with the Spirit, learning to breathe the Spirit, because the Spirit deeply wants to form your being. It wants to fill your soul. It wants to empower you to live well. Many of us walk through life feeling alone, feeling depleted and tired. And I might wonder in those seasons of my life, how much of my life am I depending on God's presence that's here with me? How deeply am I breathing the Holy Spirit in my life? So that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to spend these eight weeks exploring that more. And this week in particular, I want to just talk about who the Spirit is and what is the role of the Spirit in our lives. So let's begin. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, it might be helpful to begin by saying what the Spirit is not. So the Spirit is not a vague force in our life. Uh, You know how certain misconceptions worm their way into your mind, and it's really hard to pull them out. It's really hard to get rid of them. Uh, For some people, the Spirit has been a vague source. It's like, almost like Wi-Fi. It's always around us. It empowers things. Uh, It's annoying when we can't experience it and feel it. It's just, you know, that's like a a vague source for us. Or for me, one of the most (laughs) telling things that I've had to understand the Holy Spirit is like the force from Star Wars. I don't know where I picked that up, but like that's like perfect, like how I was raised, that, that there is this force. Now, I'm not a Star Wars junkie, so like there might be some of you that, I don't know what this is here. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is either, or I don't know who this is. Uh, I know those things exist. I know some of you are like right now, wanting to say what those things are, but you don't want to out yourself too much as a Star Wars junkie. But for me, somewhere along, uh, thank you for switching off that character. (laughs) Um, Somewhere along the way, as a kid, I learned that the Holy Spirit is much like the force from Star Wars. It's like this unseen power that you can tap into, and there's also an opposing force that's eerie and dark and at work in this world. And as Christians, we need to learn to use the force to, to combat the evil in this world. And we might be aided by Ewoks on our side along the way. But that, for me, that, that idea, that concept is so misleading because it's incomplete. The spirit should not be minimized to be like the source of special powers, but that's vague and kind of out there. It's incomplete, it's impersonal. It's not just a vague source in this world. The spirit is also not emotionalism. Some of us, we grew up in a tradition where we sense the spirit moving when our emotions changed. Now, oftentimes, God's presence does evoke an emotional response. There is a deep feeling of joy or satisfaction or a release that happens in our life. But the Spirit is so much more than that. You know, like the Spirit is so much more than the feeling you have in worship when the drum starts going a little bit more and Stu starts railing on a guitar solo and you get Jesus bumps on your neck. You're like, the Spirit is now here. You know, like as if the Spirit was not released until Hillsong wrote that song, you know. (laughs) The Spirit is so much more than our emotions because the reality is what happens when those emotions are gone? What happens when you show up in worship and you're reeling from problems in your life and you sit there and you spectate people having some spiritual moment 
and you're feeling empty, you're feeling despondent, you're feeling isolated. Well, if you believe that Holy Spirit's emotionalism, what's wrong with you? Tap into the Spirit. It's here. It's happening in this room. You're just on the outside of it. The reality is the Holy Spirit is so much more than emotions. And the Holy Spirit is present when those emotions we usually identify as being a, a fruit of the Spirit is absent from our life. For those who are in moments of sorrow, who are feeling isolated alone, the Holy Spirit is more than your emotions. The Spirit is so, the Spirit's not a vague force, it's not emotionalism, and it's also not an episodic character. You know how in certain TV shows, they'll like bring in like a, a special character for a couple episodes, and so people start watching it more, um, and then all of a sudden they're written off. Uh, if many times, like I'm thinking of Bruce Willis from Friends, you know? You remember he was in Friends for a little bit? And then he was just gone. Like, Bruce Willis is, like, at that point, like, one of the bigger stars and all. And he was just gone. He was in and out. And I think many times, in the, for some Christians, we believe that the Spirit was an episodic character. So, the Spirit rolled in at Pentecost, Acts 2, rolled in at Pentecost, disrupted things, uh, empowered people, uh, gave some directions, and then when the, and then after that, the whole... The, the Holy Spirit was at work in forming the church. But when the Bible was written, the Spirit was like, all right, you're on your own now. You can follow the Bible. You have that now. But the Holy Spirit is so much more than just an episodic character. When we have that mentality, we confine the Spirit to the experience of the early church, and we truncate the promises and the purpose of the Spirit today. The promises of the Spirit was not just for a season, though it did move in power, as we see in Scripture, but it's promised for all of those who have been claimed by the mercy of Jesus. It's present and available to us here and now. I think those three misconceptions of the Spirit really hold us back from living into what the Spirit might have for us. Because when we disregard the Spirit's work in our life, we oftentimes, we just are not experiencing the fullness of God. And I know we're not alone for those people who have wrestled with what does it mean to have a life of the Spirit. I know you're not alone because I actually have data here. <laughs> so um, Lifeway Research surveyed American evangelicals, and they asked evangelical Christians about the Spirit. In particular, they asked um, about if the Spirit is alive, if the Spirit's an impersonal force, uh, if it's conscious and a live person, this is, the, this is what they found. is 59% of evangelical Christians don't think of the Holy Spirit as being alive. Instead, they describe the Spirit as an impersonal force, not a conscious, alive person who's at work in this world. It's an interesting thing for me because one of the identifiers or markers of being an evangelical Christian, which I know some of us would absolutely reject for other reasons, but one of the things about evangelical Christians that is like a tenet of their faith is they believe in God's word. And there's this huge chasm to what the Bible says and describes about the Holy Spirit and what they're actually experiencing in their life. So the Bible has not described the Spirit as an impersonal force, not as being not alive. Uh, the Bible's very clear that that the Spirit is alive and is at work. It's, it's here among us when there's two or three gathered. It's here in our presence. Yet somehow we have carved out this idea of a life with God that's absent from the Spirit. And I have wondered why. 
why, why have we done this? Is it control? Is it we're afraid of what the Spirit might do? Have we replaced being led by the Spirit by being led by pastors or huge theologians or like a, a narrow reading of Scripture in itself? I don't know, but I, I, I mourn this, and I also, in my life, though I say I don't believe that, I live like it. I live like this. I don't know if I would say I live as if the Spirit is alive. I don't know if I would say I live as if the Spirit is a personal force that is a conscious and is at work in my life. Though I might say, oh man, I'm 41%. Nah, I'm not. I really am not. So how can we move out of this? Well, instead of those three misconceptions, what I would like for us to consider today is what I want to propose is that the Spirit is a personal presence. I chose these two, two words intentionally because I think the Spirit, we should think of it um, as a personal presence. I invite you to think of it as a personal presence um, because first and foremost, the Spirit is not a what. What is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is a who. In the Christian tradition, uh, for generations and generations throughout the world, when people speak of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they, they speak of three persons. I wrestle with that idea of a person because I think it's small, like we don't know what to make of God, so we just make God like us, so we just call God a person. But what I think that that's helpful to that concept is it tethers us to this idea, if the Holy Spirit's a person, it's someone we can have a relationship with. And I think that's really, really, really important. I think it's helpful to have this idea that the Spirit is a particular entity, a particular being, and not just a concept or a source. The Spirit is a person for which we can know and have an intimate relationship with. We don't have a relationship with Wi-Fi until we realize it's not working, right? We don't have a relationship with like a vague source of power but if the Spirit is personal, we can forge and foster a deeper relationship. That's especially the case if the person of the Spirit wants that for us. There's nothing the Spirit wants more for you, I believe. In this series, I hope that we learn a lot about the Spirit, but I think what's more important is that we learn to experience a friendship with the Spirit. A friendship. I heard someone talk about the Holy Spirit recently and he was much more in the charismatic tradition, but he talked about the Holy Spirit being his best friend. He's my best friend. He's the smartest person I know. He speaks to me. He leads me. He's never wrong. And I thought it was, such, it was so odd to hear him speak of the Spirit like that, so personally. And it was also really, really beautiful. I think if, it, if God longs for us to have a sincere friendship uh, what are the ways in which we can deepen and flourish our friendship with the Spirit? Well, it's, this is like any other relationship in our life. What do friendships take? Well, they take uh, time, right? They take intentional time with each other. Though the, the Spirit, though my relationship with Jason is particular to he and I, uh, when he, he might have a relationship with you, he's consistent in character, but the way in which he connects to people is different. So it is with the Spirit. If it's an authentic relationship, the way in which you connect to the Spirit might be different with someone else. But the Spirit's character is consistent throughout. And the way in which we deepen our relationship with the Spirit primarily is through time. Relationships take time. And I'm curious how mindful 
mindfully, you spend time with the Spirit. You might be able to recite stories about the Spirit. You might be able to, to know what the Spirit can do or should do in people's life. But you might not actually say that I know the Spirit. I don't know if I spent time with the Spirit, though you might be able to say I believe the Spirit. Now, do you know what you call someone who knows a lot about someone but doesn't actually know them? Do you know what you call someone who's spent a lot of time studying about someone but not actually spent time with them? A stalker. (laughs) And I think many of us have been Holy Spirit stalkers. Like, we know a lot about them. We've peeked in on what they do, but we actually don't have a friendship. And I wonder if it's just creeping God out, you know? (laughs) Stop knowing about me. Know me. Like, you're invited in. Don't just hang outside the window peeking in. Come in. You're weirding out everyone. God doesn't want you just to know about the Spirit. God wants you to know the Spirit deeply. And that takes time. Relationships take planned time and spontaneous time. We deepen our relationships when we have rhythms where we come together and prioritize our intention to have friendship. I have some friends from college. We have known each other now like 20 plus years. We get together on a monthly basis. Uh, And because it's guys and we have certain habits and traditions, we call it Thirsty Third Thursdays because we're also dumb and we forget things. So on Thirsty Third Thursdays, we hang out. And that name has nothing to do about what we do when we hang out with each other. So we just hang out, we spend time with each other, but recently we were like, man, this summer we got, we got out of rhythm. We haven't met up in a couple of months. We need to get that back together. And what, what we do is like it feels forced, but it's, no, we just wanna be intentional because life speeds up and time can go by without us actually spending time with each other. So we want to have planned time. So it is with God. You need to have some planned time. If you want to deepen your relationship with the Spirit, is to have planned time. That could be a, a morning meditation. It could be a midday prayer. It could be you come here and worship on Sunday mornings to, to get close to the Spirit, spend time to experience the Spirit in your life. So we need planned time, but we also need spontaneous time. How weird would it be if I bumped into you, um, like at HEB or Whole Foods or whatever, and you're like, hey, Mark, what's up? And I said, off the clock. <laughs> Sorry, off the clock. Just Mark right now. If you want to talk, we have text fed Sundays. Show up at 10 o'clock. No one else will be there because everyone shows up late. And we'll hang out, you know? Like, <laughs> it would all of a sudden, you would feel what? You'd feel like, oh, this isn't real. Like, this friendship is just fabricated. It's so formulaic. It's not real. So it is with the Spirit. I think we need to have not only planned time where we're, we're connecting with the Spirit, but we also need spontaneous time. A true relationship is displayed when your mind and your affections return back to that person again and again throughout the day. Something will trigger a thought. And you go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember them. You think about them. You long to be with them. So it is with the Spirit in our life. And so there's promptings of the Spirit that we have throughout our day. That's the Spirit saying, Hey, remember me? I wanna, I wanna be with you throughout your work day. I wanna be with you in this moment, in this relationship, in this meal, whatever it might be. I wanna be with you in the spontaneous moments of your day. So the Spirit is a person with whom we can have a relationship with. But the Spirit is also more than just a person, it's a presence. So as a part of the Trinity, the Spirit 
has always been present with the Father and Jesus from the beginning. Literally, from the very beginning words of the Bible, we find this. Here we go, and this is Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness over the surface and the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. From the very beginning of our scripture, we have the Spirit's presence. The Spirit didn't show up at Pentecost. It was always there, always present with creation and especially with the Father and with Jesus. It wasn't just from the beginning of our Old Testament. We find Scripture throughout our Scripture. Even, even in the Old Testament, this, the term spirit shows up, the Hebrew word ruach shows up 377 times. 377 times in our Old Testament, we find that word. In these passages, what, are the, what is the Spirit doing? What is the presence of the Spirit doing? The presence of the Spirit is gifting people with wisdom. It gives people the ability to do art well. It empowers people to be artistic. The Spirit's at work helping people interpret dreams, helps people lead well, and most importantly, the Spirit is making a way for God's salvation to come through Jesus. And that's what it did. Even in Jesus' beginning of his life and his work, we find that the Holy Spirit uh, was present with Mary at her uh, miraculous conception. It was there from the beginning of that. And even in Jesus' first public moment, we find Jesus' baptism. Notice how in this moment, this is an echo back to Genesis 1. When Jesus was baptized, this is how he came out in the public eye and after 30 years of living in, in, in isolation, he came out in the public eye, he was baptized in the Jordan, and two things happened. The Father's voice spoke from heaven over his son, saying, this is my son, whom I love, and whom, in, in him I'm well pleased. And notice, the Spirit was also there, like a dove, descending upon Jesus. The Father and the Spirit ministering to Jesus, caring for him, empowering him, present, just like the hovering over the deep waters, the Spirit did in Genesis 1. Here, the Spirit is doing the same thing as Jesus is being led into his ministry. And in Matthew's gospel, we find all, especially Matthew and Luke, we find the Spirit's presence throughout the whole telling. Everything that Jesus did, it was because he was empowered by the Spirit. Everything he did, he was empowered by the Spirit. He wasn't just on his own. He wasn't going rogue. Not, that's not a Star Wars reference. He was actually like connecting and abiding to the Spirit. And even in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' final words to his disciples is called the Great Commission. Some of us are familiar with those words, but I think there's a great omission in the commission. Notice the words that Jesus said around the Holy Spirit. In his final words, he said, Then Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's good, Jesus, we need you to have authority over this world. And Jesus said, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the what? Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded to you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I believe for much of my life, what I have heard the church focus upon is Starts in the middle. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Like all the duties of being the church, we have focused on like 
All right, this is why we exist. We are supposed to go and do these things. And I think we forget the bookends. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then the very end, the promise, and I am going to be with you always to the very end of the age. Well, Jesus, how are you, how are you with us? How are, like if you promise to be with us every step of the way, how are you with us? And Jesus would say, I've given you my spirit. The spirit of Jesus is with you always. The spirit of Jesus that has all authority. You are not meant to do that middle section on your own with your own resources, with your own wisdom. You are meant to be sent out by Jesus who is with you every step of the way. I'm afraid that we make our life with God so much about duty than we do just following and staying in step with the Spirit. This is what our calling is as God's people. And we find this beautifully displayed in Jesus' words in John 16. I'm giving you a lot of scripture because I want you to know this is not something that we are trying to foster or make up. This is deeply within the scriptures. John 16, Jesus said this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Jesus says, it's, it's good I'm leaving you. Unless I go away, the advocate or the spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I think we would all collectively protest Jesus, saying, Jesus, we actually want you to stay. Like, we don't want you to go. It's not good that you go. Like, don't we know that we need Jesus' healing in this world? We need Jesus' leading, his teaching. But that was never Christ's master plan. Instead, Jesus said, I, it's good I'm leaving because I'm gonna send you something. Verse 12, it continues. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Notice the connection between the spirit now and Jesus and the Father. Why, why Jesus said it's good that he goes. The Spirit will glorify me, being Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus is sending the Spirit to teach us, to equip us, to provide for us. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Do you see this beautiful dance that's happening between the Father and the Son and the Spirit? Do you see why indeed it was good and wise for the Spirit, for Jesus to go so that the Spirit can abide in us, so that there can, we can be in the flow of the Father and Son and Spirit, that we can live and, and, and remain there with God. Jesus' continuing work is through the Spirit's presence. The Spirit of Christ wants to lead us and speak to us and comfort us and empower us to do what Jesus did. But there's something even more central to what the Spirit is doing at us. I love the scripture reading that we started with, our scripture reading that we heard earlier. Paul was writing a letter to a church in a city called Ephesus. These people were um, outside of God's chosen people. They were racially other. They were ethnically other. They were outside the circle, and yet the Spirit was at work to disrupt all of that, to, to show them not how they get into the circle, but how the circle was expanding and God's kingdom would not be confined by racial or ethnic 
tribalism. It would be so much more than that. And Paul writes this letter to this beloved church in Ephesus. And in the middle of his letter, he breaks into a prayer. He just starts to pray. And this is what he says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derive its name. It's not just a Jewish thing. It's not just a tribal thing. Every family in earth derives its name, including you, Ephesus, including you, the vine. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is Paul's prayer, is that we could experience power Through God's spirit in our inner being, the spirit meets with us in our souls. It strengthens us with power. Power, what? To slay the enemy? To work out wonders? No, there's actually something more central to the role of the Holy Spirit. And notice it. What is it? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's God's deep longing. The greatest role the Holy Spirit has in our life is to to ensure that Christ dwells in your heart through faith. The goal of the Spirit is a personal presence deep within you, deep within your heart, a place that this world can never touch, no one can ever rob you of. Deep within your soul, the Spirit is at work saying there's a personal presence there, and it's the Spirit of Jesus there. It's dwelling within you. To have, so that you can have a deep sense of union with God. This is why Jesus said, it's good that I go. Because if I don't go, you're never going to know that the Holy Spirit can take up residence inside your soul. It's no longer confined to a temple or to a sacred place. It's actually within you, teaching and guiding you and strengthening you. The Spirit is a personal presence within you. Whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, It is there in the faith that you have, the faith that is like a powerless little sail that can do nothing on its own, but caught by the wind of God's grace. The wind of God's spirit is powerful and it wants to shape and form you. And though the spirit may have been absent in your spiritual life, today's a new day. And I promise that there's nothing that Jesus wants more than for you to know and experience that reality. This is why Jesus came, this is why he died, this is why the Spirit rose him from the dead. It was so that we could experience that deep within us, there's a dwelling of God's personal presence within us. If we could only learn to breathe in deeply God's presence, if only we can learn to breathe the Spirit so that we could be transformed. Before we go on to the series, before we explore it more, I just wanna conclude today by asking you to notice one thing. Before we go off and like, all right, I'm gonna try to do this, I'm gonna do these daily practices, I'm gonna show up to my small group even though I don't wanna be in with any other community, I'm afraid of being in small groups. Before you do any of that, I want you to notice one thing, what the Spirit is doing, what the heart of the Spirit is. It's in Paul's prayer, it continues. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But what is Christ doing deep in your hearts? This is what he's doing. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Every single day of your life, the Spirit's priority is that you could be filled with power, but it's not the power we see at work in this world. The Spirit wants to fill you with power so that you could realize how much God loves you, how deep and vastness that love is. You're not gonna be able to understand it in your own resources, and your own mental capacities. You're gonna need help to understand how big God's devotion to you is, how deep his love is. And if that takes root, if we are become deeply rooted in that, if we learn to attune our hearts and live to the Spirit's work, we will live differently. It's impossible for us not to. We will become peacemakers in a world of conflict. We'll be agents of mercy and grace in a world starved for affirmation. And we will learn to be a personal presence ourselves in a world that's isolated and desperate for Christ's nearness. So, my friends, I pray that you would give yourself to this 50-day experiment. And I pray that we would learn to give ourselves more importantly, into the spirit, in planned and spontaneous moments. I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied by knowing about God, knowing about the spirit, but we would learn to have friendship with the spirit in a profound way. So let us raise the cell of our hearts. Let us raise the cell of our intentions for this series, and let's see what Christ might do through his spirit and his presence. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.